the struggle, the, the struggle against the compulsions of the false self, um, and then the encounter with the loving God um, who offers himself as a substance of the new self. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode two of Icona Podcast. Uh, today we have Matthew Koropatwa joining us. Mr. Koropatwa. Mr. Koropatwa, the one and only. Um, so Matthew is a local cinematographer in Vancouver and also part of Icona's team. And we're thrilled to have him on the podcast, uh-huh. sharing his... Uh, sharing deepest his secrets. Deepest secrets, sharing the light uh, to the people. So um, who's going to introduce Matthew? Um, how do I introduce Matthew except, except to say that he's my friend, how I met him as a friend. Mm. Otherwise, I don't really know how to How did you guys him. meet? Um, we met technically, I don't know, three, four years ago um, at Adam Combs and Finley Burge's goodbye party. Mm. These two oh, guys. Oh, I was who, there. That's so, No, Jan, wait, you were no, no, not you there. Were there. Are no? you serious? Were you? No, wait, maybe not. <laughs> I, I would, my mind would be blown if, if, oh, no, I met Matthew at your birthday in, in which Adam and Finley were also, they were also there. They were also there. Yeah. So it's like no, no, two no, no, different no. dates, but oh, wow. same people. This, this was before same people. Adam That's, and Finley left to um, bike around the world. Right, right. Shouts yeah. out to Adam again. <laughs> Adam Thomas and Finley Burge this time. Too many shouts Finley out. Finley He should be here with by us. By the way, Finley the Burge podcast. was the one that was acting. In the oh last yeah! Film. Shouts out to Finley. He was the man full of black paint. That was Finley Burge. Yeah, he was the oh. the, the sinner man. And so <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and so I met uh, Matthew there when the day before that they left. Um, what were you doing, Matthew? Uh, yeah, I was. Why kinda, were you there? It was quite funny. I was. Uh, I was in the middle of a backpacking trip mm-hmm. from Portland to Vancouver, just straight out of high school in my gap year. And I was like reaching out to people on Instagram and I was going to meet up with Adam and Finn. And then they're like, we're leaving on a bike trip. We will not meet up with you, sadly, (laughs) but come to our goodbye party. Mm. And I was like, okay. Before you know who we are. (laughs) And then, so I met Adam and Finn at their goodbye party, which is kind of funny. And then I met DJ. The same day. The same day. I just remember. We didn't talk a whole lot, I don't think. No, I just remember meeting you and you're like. Very outgoing, hmm. and pretty much all I remember. It's good. You dressed good for, well. You were outgoing. Really? Uh, the two I didn't I like the like. Uh, d- yeah, definitely different vibes back then. When I was <laughs> back then, I had different vibes too. So we, were like, <laughs> <laughs> we still vibing. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Um, and then you left, and we oh, did wow. life separately. Obviously, yeah. I didn't really know who he was. So like, yeah. Two years later, three years later, he comes back to Vancouver. I, um, I move here for he school. Moves to Vancouver for school. I came to when I got to Vancouver. I was like, "Dang, this is beautiful!" And I just had so many beautiful, generous, loving people that just like I was introduced to, and I was just like, "Wow, mm. if these are the people I met in one day. How many other people are in Vancouver?" And I don't know. I was just excited for to explore a new city and to. He's from Toronto, by the way. From Toronto, just so yeah. everybody knows. Yeah. So then I moved here for school. Mm-hmm. Talking about Adam and Finn, I was inspired at that trip because they were just about to go on a bike trip around the world. Mm. And I was like, yo, that's tight. I'm going to I'm going to fly out with my bike in a, like on the last month of your entire trip, at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Let me go home, save some money back to Toronto. And then they canceled the trip. I had a bike 
And so I was still inspired to do a kind of crazy bike trip. And so, you know, being from Toronto and then living in Vancouver, it was like I had the idea of biking from one city to the next. And and so I kept that that idea with me for a couple of years. And then when COVID came, I was like, light bulb went off. And I was just gearing up for fourth year because at the time I thought I was going to go back. And... And I was like, what a beautiful time to just creatively think about a fourth year film idea and connect with God mm-hmm. and see mom and dad. I told people those three things and it was like, yeah, bike home to see mom and dad. That's like the best way, right? <laughs> There's multiple ways you can do that, sir. <laughs> um, but and what, were you reading something at the time? Yeah. So I... I brought multiple books, which is kind of crazy. You're like, why would you bring books while you're going? But um, that's less crazy than than Super Eight. That's pretty normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. Uh, Henry J M Nowen, Nowen. Henry Newman. 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 Is it Newman? Okay. That sounds familiar. But uh, I was reading one of his books, The Way of the Heart. Um, but yeah, it's like it was a perfect book. Um, it was talks about prayer, silence, and solitude, and talks about St. Anthony, hmm. who was considered the father of monks. Um, but it just talked about how at the age of 18 in church, he heard the words from, from Matthew, the book of Matthew, um, like, go and sell, give the money to the poor, and then come and follow me. Hmm. And then St. Anthony, he felt like those words were very personal to him. Like he felt like God was calling that life upon himself very directly. Hmm. And so he did exactly that. And he fleed into the desert um, for 20 years. And when he got back, he, he was transformed. And on the trip, he, he recalls like the struggle the the struggle against the compulsions of the false self mm-hmm. um, and then the counter with the loving God um, who offers himself as a substance mm. of the new self. And, mm. and so, yeah, he came back and he just was immersed and just filled with wisdom. Um, but and then he later went back into solitude for the last mm-hmm. um, Well, he inspired portion. a lot of people. Yeah. So he was considered like a, what, a desert, desert, desert father. father. Yeah. And like, so many people came that kind of this bunch of monks mm-hmm. created a pseudo city, mm-hmm. apparently, and it inspired by him. Yeah, I know it's interesting because I was reading about all this desert fathers, and then uh-huh. DJ also knows about Saint Anthony. And yeah, like by accident. Yeah, and I would say that the the reading from from his book um, that the desert was like a way of escaping. Uh, the tempting conformity, conformity of the world. Um, mm-hmm. And he talks a lot about how he considers society to be like a um, shipwreck in which each individual man and woman must desperately swim for their life. Hmm. Um, and so really he sees an- the answer in solitude in which you feel the emptiness of yourself in which you it's kind of like a pull you feel how broken you are in which you can then feel how mm. forgiven you are mm. 
Solitude is the furnace of transformation. Amen. Um, and without solitude, we remain victims of our society and continue to be entangled in the illusions of our false self. Okay, so what does it mean to die to self? And um, what are some historical, cultural examples of this concept of dying to self? Mm. Um, kind of the most explicit thing that you could talk about when dying to self, as an example, um, is what Matthew just talking about, about monasticism, which is like giving your life... Um, exclusively to do that one thing like mm -hmm. to die to yourself right mm -hmm. um and it should be inspiring to everybody and not just those who are seeking to become monks like that's very mm -hmm. that's a very niche market mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like, um and you know that happens in the west that happens in the east obviously as well where you have buddhist monasteries you have lots of monasteries and culture like mm -hmm. um from like an anthrop anthropological point of view like you see that um and it's just it, the heart of that is to die to yourself mm -hmm. um and then you also see that phenomenon in rite of passages. So like in many different cultures, whether it's bar mitzvah for, for, for the Jewish culture or for the Christian culture, it's baptism. Right. Um, there are many, many examples that you can see in different cultures throughout history, you know, and also presently um, things that people do in order to represent this relative idea of dying to yourself. Mm. Um, and, so the, for the monasteries, it's really explicit. So for the monasteries, it's you're actually like, without question, you're doing a very spiritual like, mm -hmm. I don't know, like they would probably use the language of dying to yourself very explicitly. Mm. Um, like the Buddhists would say, you don't even have a self and you're trying to understand that the Christians would use, say something different. But the point is that's super explicit. But if you bring it down a notch into like the cultural level, just more simple, it's more of a, okay, you, maybe you're a child and you're turning into an adult, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what does it take to, to do that? Um, yeah. and there are ceremonies and there are things that, that represent that movement. Um, and that like natural progression from a child to an adult, um, which, like I said, it could be bar mitzvah, it could be baptism, it could be circumcision, it could mm -hmm. be a lot of things, um, which represent this movement, which is just very serious. I have a question. What yeah. do you think your biggest rite of passage in your life? My biggest rite of passage in my life. Ooh. Um, yeah. Well, I can. Yeah, I, yeah, I guess I can go. Yeah. Um, so I guess for me, it would be when I understood that like my identity has to be found in something. If you're just kind of like dwelling on planet Earth, like trying to find like, oh, what is the meaning of me being here? Like, what is the purpose? Like, you're not living for anything. There's nothing in the end. Like, you can leave the best inheritance for your kids and they can leave the same for their kids but ultimately like everyone is dying in the end mm. <laughs> so it's like there's no purpose um and so to find purpose you have to find identity to find who like to find where you're going you have to find who you are and so to me that was like my biggest um rite of passage like finding out who i am in christ mm. i mean it's kind of the same for me same, same, bro. <laughs> yeah, same, same. Uh, no, but I was more just interested, I think, in those examples that you gave. Yeah. Like, like when was there a, a big change? Maybe in your parents, like, oh, once he turns 18, he can drive, then we'll stop yeah. spanking his butt. <laughs> 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 um, I feel like there, 
I have like a bit of sadness because I feel like there isn't, there should be, but there isn't a certain, a certain like ritual or ceremony that we do as a culture that I feel really helped me become a man. You, you're left to yourself. So, so mm. if I had to look for one, like really like desperately, I, I, I could find events in my life, which definitely like acted mm. as moments of like mm. a rite of passage. Why do you feel like a ceremony or something that stands because, out. Because, very... because it means that everybody in the community has to do it together at one time. Mm. It's like having everybody witnesses. So, for example, it. if you think of a wedding, right? It's like there's mm. witnesses, there's like the officiant, they're all there to say, okay, this is the date that your life is forever changed. Yeah, yeah. But, no, I know that, but, but talk our, to me why our, you think that is like really important. Because I our, think our culture doesn't really have yeah. that yeah. for a rite of passage. It doesn't. Oh, and, and the idea of a culture generally, like it's the idea of people, it's the idea of. Nope. nobody's really just completely on their own an isolated little island walking around like that's not what's happening mm. and if i'm going to become a man it involves everybody that loves me everybody that i love um it involves a lot of people basically we're not sold to individualism is what i'm saying mm. and like um when somebody does anything they'd like to think that they're only really doing something that involves themselves mm-hmm. but that's absurd like they're doing something that involves everybody around them Right. Um, and everyone has some sort of influence over their friends. And yeah, like and even if you were a complete nomad and no, you didn't know anybody, like yeah. you changing would affect how you act in the world. And so, because the world also acts towards mm-hmm. you, people, friends, family, you have to acknowledge that. So, if there's a moment in your life which is meaningful, like whether this is graduation, or this is a wedding, like you say, or this is whatever, right? Um, in that moment. You're acknowledging with others that, hey, like this is this is a significant moment in my life where a public declaration. It, it's a public declaration, <laughs> but I don't even like it's not. A, it's more than a symbol, like because a symbol kind of involves like this is just like abstract in the head, like mm-hmm. it's just like some idea. Mm-hmm. It's not just abstract. It's very tangible. Like this moment is changing my life, mm-hmm. and it's going to change all of your lives too. Mm-hmm. Wow. So yeah. it's like, I think that's why I find rite of passage so important. Is because everybody to get like everybody in the culture is acknowledging with one another wow. that this person's life involves all of us. What do you think uh, knowing that there has to be this dying to self? Why do you think that's crucial to the way that we live life? Um, like being oblivious to the concept, Mm -hmm. but why understand the concept? How will that help us in life? Um, Well, okay. For example, in design school, you're always critiquing each other. Like you have to show up with your work, put it on the wall and say, hey, like, can you just completely Hmm. trash me? Like, tell me what's wrong with it. And And that's how you grow. Right. Like the courses that I grew the most are the courses where I got trashed the most. Like if people just told me, hey, like everything is flowers, like I love what you do. Everything is perfect. um, I would never grow as a designer, as a creative. Um, If you know, same with like client work, for example, like I always get feedback on the videos that I create. And if if my clients just told me, oh, you know, it's okay, like whatever you made is perfect. Like I would just walk around and think that I'm that I'm Mm. perfect, even though. I'm like nowhere near to be good, right? Mm. Like if if the world just told me that that I have reached my ultimate potential, like I, I'm 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 this great artist. Yeah. I've I've <laughs> I've reached the ultimate. Mm. I would never even get anywhere. 
one of my profs in, in film school had a, a printout sheet of full words that you cannot say mm. because he felt like we were continually critiquing with it's good softness it's really interesting <laughs> and so he had yeah. a full list of words that if you said them you would get in trouble that's really that's, that's, that's good. good and because he wanted you to like be more mm. well thought out and give more yeah. complex feedback and that's actually helpful yeah. I don't know, you hear quotes like, if you seek for everybody's acceptance, you'll die to the rejection. Or, yeah. um, what do you think the connection between making something for everybody versus, like, um, like how, how does it become successful if you're trying to seek it? Or, and also, if it's quality, if, if art is made with excellence, then mm-hmm. it should reach people of different abilities to understand mm-hmm. and, and hopefully excellent art mm-hmm. does reach everybody. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there is this kind of like contradicting statement of yeah. like, if you're trying to reach everybody, then you'll reach nobody. Yeah. Totally. Absolutely. That's right. But what do you, what do you think is? That's a struggle because that's the constant struggle. I don't really know if you can transcend that because. Um, well, you have to define your audience and you have to define your mission and your vision as well. Yeah. Like if, like Icona's vision is not art for art's sake. Mm-hmm. So that in itself eliminates audiences that just want to look at art and like go home nice right flowers. so like we have a really specific audience we want people to actually come out of a movie theater with transformed hearts and actually act on their lives after they have seen this icon or have seen this mm-hmm. image mm-hmm. Um, yeah so really like narrowing down your vision will help you narrow down your audience as well yeah absolutely yeah no totally and there's yeah and there's an aspect of constantly like you don't give the same medicine to everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, if you feel that one person's struggling with something very particular, you you won't give them something that's outside of that context. Um, what we're trying to do, obviously, is speak to the greater culture, mm. but sometimes people live in their own cultures. Like, they have a small group of friends and stuff like this. Maybe they're not really with that. That's okay. Like, hopefully one day we'll speak to them as well. But we constantly... Like, we have to be aware, basically, as a Kona, as anybody who's doing art, of the fact that what you're doing is speaking about a specific topic. It's gonna to be a, it's gonna be a medicine for a specific people. Hopefully, it's like a pretty broad medicine. For example, like right now, our society is struggling with COVID nineteen. <laughs> like they're trying to find something that can speak to the entire world. This is mm-hmm. international. So I'm just trying to say that that what the theme for today obviously is dying to yourself. That's something that speaks to a lot of people. Um, and I think that we always have to be aware of the fact that we won't speak to everybody, though, and that's fine because mm-hmm. we want to heal somebody. Like if you heal one person, you're you're doing a great thing. Like even if you haven't healed everybody, or if you're helping one person, that's great too. Like even if you haven't helped the entire world, um, you can't imagine that you could help the entire world anyway if you aren't able to help a single person at all, especially yourself. Like you start with yourself. What I find really beautiful about art, which is like. A lot of this is different opinions and, you know, there will be some disagreement. Mm-hmm. Um, but with, if it's just conversation level, there there will be entanglements of different opinions and there will be some contradicting and, and people that will disagree. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that's so beautiful about art is that it it allows for a new platform to be more accepted and more, like you're kind of like putting yourself out in a vulnerable way in mm-hmm. which allows for um there to be that 
new kind of conversation that occurs mm-hmm. from it. DJ, tell us about icons. So icons. Um, if you remember from last episode, um, I talked about the meaning of the word icona mm-hmm. um, and how that word comes from the word um, icon. Yeah, that's the word. It means image as well, but and it's found in the Bible and it's translated image. Second Corinthians three eighteen. I think that's what it was. Yeah. Boom. Whoa! You Nailed remember the it. verse? I don't even. I was I was reading Corinthians yesterday. I was like, wait icon and then i went to the translator that's and so like good. that's it yeah that's so great wow. yeah that's it that's how, that's <laughs> the one icona um but the same word is used in, in the history of the church and we mentioned that um but i thought it was important to go a little bit more in depth i mean we were asked to do so even um on icons icona is making art we're not making historical icons obviously we're making art and so that's the analogy um but the history of icons is important because it helps us understand ourselves. Yeah. So somebody that inspires me a whole lot in my thinking and how I write even and just like my thoughts on icons and art itself um, is this author, David Bentley Hart. He's actually an Eastern Orthodox writer. Um, he is a theologian. He's a scholar of religion. And he's, he's written a little book on the story of Christianity, like the history of Christianity. It's really short. Um, and he has two little pages, which I'm going to draw from. Um, describing more in detail what I described last time. Um, So basically, to start it off, um, he talks about iconoclasm. The iconoclasts are those who thought that they should destroy all art, all icons that had to do with God, that had to do with um, spiritual things, really, because they felt that that didn't honor God in in his ineffable quality, like in in his kind of super transcendent quality. they thought that they, there should be no representations of God because he's so transcendent. And so they wanted, to, they wanted to destroy all the icons because they thought that you would worship the icons instead of worshiping God because the icons did not properly represent God. Therefore, you shouldn't have icons. You shouldn't have art, basically. Um, there was a particular figure. His name is John of Damascus. He was born in 675 AD and he died in 749 AD. Um, and his big thing, the reason that he's really famous, among others, but the, one of the biggest reasons is that he fought for icons, he fought for art. Um, and he believed that instead of art being, instead of art di- diminishing, um, you know, our, our worship of God, it actually could do the exact opposite and help us in our work towards salvation. So I'm just going to read this quote. Hit me. me a lot. Hit me, baby. By far the most effective and brilliant defender of the iconodual position, pro-icons position, was John of Damascus. He argued in part that icons were, contrary to the, the claims of the enemies, an established aspect of Christian tradition from the early years of the faith. They had always, if nothing else, he claimed, served as a means of instruction for the faithful. He also sternly dismissed the iconoclast's disdain of, the, of matter, like physical matter which would, you know, be tempting to worship. Matter, he reminded them, in sound Christian fashion, is the good creation of God. And through it, one can worship and adore its creator, not the opposite. It's not stopping you from art. In other words, it's not stopping you from worshiping God at all. 
um, because it's God's creation itself. Moreover, matter itself becomes worthy of veneration when it, when it is transformed into a vehicle of a divine enlightenment, uh, sanctification, or salvation, just different words on the same topic. Um, supremely adorable, of course, is the material body of the incarnate Logos. This is super Christian language. Basically, what it means is the most important matter, physical stuff, that it, <laughs> you know, if you're a Christian, is Jesus' body. It's the actual incarnate body. Like, that's the whole point of Christianity is that the body died, right? So how could you be anti-matter, um, anti-art as well? Um, and then he says, David Bentley Hart, also venerable are the wood of Christ's cross, the ink and paper used to write the Gospels, and the wood, paint, and glue used in making the icons, of course, and the icons itself. These are all, um, David Bentley Hart is saying, things that obviously, like, God created and we're supposed to honor that. Yeah. And and um, I just think that Icona has to be and is continuing to be this collective, this group of people which are dying to themselves constantly. I kind of mm-hmm. want to emphasize that because I feel like we're not just introducing the idea of icons here and, and this historical thing simply to give you fun facts. We're, we're, giving, we're giving these uh, stories and, and what icons are we want um, to live it out. <laughs> to, yeah, to, to show you that this is what we're trying to live out and this is what anybody listening to this who's resonating as an artist, anybody who's listening to this who's um, who feels like they're maybe seeking some sort of collective and community but they can't find them and so they're they're really fending for themselves. Anybody like that? We're trying to say like this is your, this is a place, this is a sort of refuge, this is at least at least you can find solace in the fact that there are people that are doing this. Um who are not just reflecting themselves, but who really like they have a bigger vision and their and their their heads are looking up, um, and yeah, that th- this is the the crux of Icona. This is mm. like the the heart of Icona is that we that we're dying to ourselves mm. and that we're then coming out of the water if it's baptism or whatever. We're coming out from this from the other side as transformed people. Mm. Um, our art is supposed to reflect that journey, like it's supposed to do that. All right, so this wraps up our time for episode two. Thank you everyone for joining and we'll see you next time.